When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. The Hartford understands protecting your business with the proper insurance can be a challenge. The Hartford team can provide coverage to suit your industry. The Hartford empowers mid- to large-size companies like yours to help manage risk, from liability and property insurance to workers' comp and more. Let the Hartford help protect what's unique about your business. Learn how at thehartford.com. Meet Gary. Gary's about to become an Einstein in an instant. Whoa, Einstein hair. I like it. That's right, Gary, because you're using Salesforce powered by Einstein AI to connect data, predict business trends, generate personalized content, and wow customers. I do feel a lot smarter. Because you're not just Gary anymore. You're Gary, empowered by Einstein AI. Did you hear that, team? I'm an Einstein. Oh, can I get a selfie? The number one AI CRM. Now everyone's an Einstein with Salesforce. Now, from our nation's capital, this is Bloomberg Sound On. I am resigning as leader of the Conservative Party. They're all gone. So why is she still here? Order. I'm going to hear the Prime Minister. How do you govern an ungovernable Conservative Party? Bloomberg Sound On. Politics, policy and perspective. From D.C.'s top names. He sold miracle cures that I can't pronounce, and I wouldn't have been able to pronounce it even before the stroke. If I have to be in a foxhole, I want John Fetterman in there with me. It was the normal election time dog and pony show. Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. Another prime minister resigns. Welcome to the fastest hour in politics and one of the fastest turns in politics today in London. Yeah, Liz Truss is out, and a new search begins with some familiar names already in the mix, helping us understand the chaos today. Bloomberg Senior Executive Editor Dave Merritt with us in Washington. Later, the president hits the campaign trail in Battleground, Pennsylvania, where the Senate race is too close to call right now. We'll talk about it with Jacob Rabashkin from Inside Elections and with our panel. Bloomberg Politics contributor, Democratic analyst Jeannie Shanzano is here today, along with Lester Munson of BGR Group. They're with us for the hour. It's already over for Liz Truss, announcing her decision to quit only 44 days into her tenure. We woke up today hearing that this could happen. Is it possible? People didn't really think it would be. And by 8.30 a.m. Eastern Time, she spoke live from number 10 Downing. I cannot deliver the mandate on which I was elected by the Conservative Party. I have therefore spoken to His Majesty the King to notify him that I am resigning as leader of the Conservative Party. Short and sweet turned and went back inside. And of all days here, we're fortunate to have a real expert uh, from Bloomberg. Dave Merritt, Bloomberg senior executive editor, was in Washington when the news broke. And we're delighted to have him with us now on Sound On. Dave, welcome. Thank you so much for having me. You know, I'm going to have a couple of dumb questions for you here, because in, in many cases, Americans don't know what to make of this. They're we not elect- alone. I, well, think, okay. I think we're struggling to know what to make of it. <laughs> That's fine. Yeah. But I mean, 40, what is it, 44 days? 44 days. It's a record. How's and that by, possible? By quite a long way as well. I mean, it's been a little bit like time has sped up in the last few weeks. 
um, we had this very protracted leadership contest that lasted mm-hmm. all over the summer. And we heard Rishi Sunak and Liz Truss debate the economic issues, two very competing views. Liz Truss going for massive tax cuts to right. try to stimulate growth. Rishi Sunak saying, you can't do that. It's going to set interest rates surging. We've got to get inflation under control. Well, Liz Truss won that argument with the constituents of the Conservative Party, put in place her tax cuts or announced them. And what happened It was exactly what Rishi Sunak said. Interest rates surged. You sure did. Um, bond market went into turmoil. The Bank of England had to step in um, and rescue Britain's pensions industry. And at that point, really, her credibility was shredded. And it became very clear from that point, it was going to be very difficult for for her to continue. Once the the U-turn happened, if I can call it that, she started pulling back on these plans. Was it over? Yeah, I mean, I think it was the I think it was the mother of all U-turns. She gave a press conference after sacking her chancellor, Kwasi yeah. Kwarteng, who, by the way, was one of her oldest political allies. They wrote a book together years back called Britannia Unchained, where they laid out this vision for a low-tax, high-growth Britain. Mm. So this really was their kind of lifelong work, very much in partnership. She sacked him, um, replaced him with Jeremy Hunt, who shredded all of her agenda. And then she stood up and she gave a very bizarre press conference. I think it was only about eight minutes long. Didn't take many questions. I mean, she looked like someone, frankly, who was hollowed out from the inside. Wow. She was a, a, a husk, a shell of her former self, uh, someone whose entire vision had just been dismantled um, in front of her eyes. She carried on at that point, mm-hmm. said she was going to carry on. But I think it was clear to most observers that it was only going to be a matter of time before she had to step down as prime minister. It was less than 24 hours before her resignation. And, it you know, this was the, the cut that went viral I am not a quitter. Mr. Speaker. Mr. Speaker, I am a fighter and not a quitter. Did she know at that point that it was over? Uh, You know, it's an interesting thing about leaders, isn't it? And I think we saw this with Boris Johnson as well, that they seem to be the last person (laughs) to acknowledge that really, you know, Time's up. Is that their ego go. or the bubble they're in? Or, I think or it's both? the bubble they're in. It's possibly to do with the personalities mm-hmm. involved. I mean, Liz Truss has got a, notoriously, she's got a very sort of thick political skin. You know, she um, has had lots of personal criticism thrown at her over the years, lots of kind of memes about her rather wooden presentation style. And she kind of spun that around in the leadership contest. She said, you know, I'm not the slickest presenter, is the way she kind of spun it. Hmm. But then when this sort of big moment came, she was then found wanting. And yes, she she holed herself up in the bunker a little bit in number 10, yeah. not for as long. I mean, Johnson lasted, the speculation swirling him lasted weeks, really, uh, before he finally stepped out and decided to leave. Same thing happened to Theresa May. I mean, you know, this is the third prime minister in a row that the Conservative Party has jettisoned yes. without there being uh, an election. And each one seems to get a little bit more chaotic than the last. And they're promising a successor by October 28th. What's yeah. going to happen in the next? I mean, I, the last time they told us it was going to, they're going to have a fair process. It was going to take <laughs> um, several months. A couple of days later, we knew. and now, I mean, it turns out you can do it in a week. Yeah, <laughs> it might even be shorter than that, Joe. Because really, what the Conservative Party want at this point um, is for everyone to coalesce around someone who can bring stability. Now, if you remember, uh, or maybe people don't remember, but when David Cameron resigned mm-hmm. um, after the Brexit referendum in 2016. There was a leadership contest, but in the end, it didn't get to the final stage because all the other candidates dropped down. Everyone in the party sort of rallied behind Theresa May. And, and, you know, initially that worked. That kind of that gave a sense to the public that a bit of stability 
was um, was back, that um, the party was united, and that maybe this rather traumatic um, result of this mm. Brexit referendum, a bit of a shock to half the country, um, was it was all going to be okay because Theresa was going to kind of steady yeah. uh, the ship. Um, they're kind of hoping, I think, against hope for a similar effect now. Look, yes, this has been a rocky time. I mean, most people say the rockiest of all the last few days that they've ever witnessed in in Westminster. But perhaps if they can all just come together and agree on one person, we might even know the name of that person by the beginning of next week. It's a big if, though. Yeah. It's a big if, because the party is really at each other's throats. What are the odds that name is Boris? Well, you know, it's remarkable, isn't it? (laughs) The comeback, (laughs) it is being reported, not confirmed at this point, but it is being reported Maybe we'll hear from him soon. He's apparently, by the way, on holiday in the Caribbean. So, so I learned from you this morning. Yes, yes. exactly. Sipping That's quite an image on the beach as he's <laughs> learning about this. <laughs> but um, we'll be apparently he's, he's cutting short his holiday, coming back to London. Um, it's been reported quite a few quite a few times in the recent weeks that he has been eyeing a comeback. Mm. You know, watching from the wings silently the the missteps of his successor and thinking, well, you know, maybe there's a space for me to come back. He always felt aggrieved by the way he was turfed out of office he sure did um, and he thinks you know this is he's good at the job and I it's interesting actually if you compare the resignation speeches of uh, Boris Johnson uh, to Liz Truss you know, <laughs> Boris turned it into a bit of a as he always does used a bit of humour uh-huh. had a few kind of choice turns of phrase let me say that I am now like one of those booster rockets that has fulfilled its function and I will now be gently re-entering the atmosphere and splashing down invisibly in some remote and obscure corner of the Pacific. There were some wry smiles amongst some the crowd. Zingers, yeah. And people thinking, oh, well, you know, he's still got the gift of the gab there. You know, he's got the way with words. Uh, very different. It was about 30 watching. seconds long. 30 thing. seconds just, you know, icily reading out the words in front of her um, and then retreating. It was There was no emotion there. Uh, Theresa May, if you remember... Um, you know, well, that was overcome an emotion right, when she yeah. did. And then Boris turned it into a bit of a joke. But uh, Liz Truss, <laughs> nothing really going on. So in those big moments, Boris Johnson will be thinking, you know, there's a space for me to come back here. Now, he's going to have a mountain to climb. Well, yeah. How does he consolidate enough support to make this happen? Yeah. And it's going to be a Or is it miss me yet? So the, 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 the rules that they've just announced and, you know, the, the Tory party seems to be, you know, they've got this great ability to make up the rules as they go along. But the latest rules that they have agreed on or announced is that they're going to try and whittle down over the weekend uh, the final candidates. But any candidate needs 100 MPs to back them. That means you've got a maximum shortlist of three. Mm. So it may well be a, a challenge for him. Mm. I think, you know, people are crunching the numbers furiously as I speak. Um, a couple of MPs, some of Johnson's former cabinet, have come out and said he's the man for the moment. So wow. he will get some votes. Can he get over 100? I think it's going to be challenging for him. But we can still have this conversation with a straight face. This is not we can have it something that only he's face. dreaming about. This is not beyond the realms of fantasy wow. that he actually gets it onto the final ballot. And if it does go to the members, we know for a fact, this is a fact, if it if he gets down to a, um, a, a canvassing of the members between, say, Rishi Sunak and Johnson, Boris Johnson will probably win that vote and he'll be back in Downing Street within a week. You're just <laughs> unbelievable. You just heard it from Dave Merritt. Now, what does that mean for Liz Truss? What does she do now? Well, just, she still remains an MP. You know, this is the British system. It's a parliamentary system. This is why Johnson can but, make a comeback, because he didn't leave politics. Mm-hmm. He went back to what we call the back benches. So he became right, an ordinary yeah. constituency MP. Liz Truss will do the same. 
Um, not going to resign, though. She's still. I mean, some. Is, it is, depends. Some MP, Some prime minister. Theresa May never is still a constituency MP, and she serves a role. She's always been, had that kind of public service. That's baffling public to Americans, you know. That's you know, just, but not all of them. Tony Blair didn't. Tony Blair was gone, I think, pretty much after he stepped down mm-hmm. um, and went into other things. And there was then, I think, a by-election um, in his place. I think David Cameron also. Gordon Brown st- stuck around as an MP. So it's sort of it's, a, it's an interesting reflection on the character of the prime minister, whether they right? sort of zoom off to do bigger things or whether yeah. they just sort of gently fade back into the background yeah. of being a kind of That was supposed servant. to be the American plan, right? Thomas Jefferson said, you know, you move away from your career, you serve a term or two, and then you go back. Yes, public service. That's right? that's correct. Yeah, we don't do that here. We just stay forever <laughs> if we if they, if they can. But, you know, comebacks, I think, you know, will be on the minds here, surely, right? I mean, if if uh, oh. if, if you get Boris back in Downing Street, what does that does mean? Does that empower the Donald Trump? Or, you know, are they going to get the band back together? Next wow, year? what a thought. We've got a lot to cover in the months ahead, don't we? <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, you know, whatever next. I'm delighted that you're here in Washington. Come see us again soon. I will. Please Dave have Merritt. Back. Absolutely. Thank you, sir. An historic day in politics and great to have Dave Merritt with us, our senior executive editor at Bloomberg. I'm Joe Matthew in Washington, where we assemble the panel next. I want to hear from Jeannie Shanzano, Bloomberg Politics contributor. And Lester Munson is with us today from BGR Group. She couldn't even outlast the lettuce. This is Bloomberg. You're listening to Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. The Economist called her the Iceberg Lady, and it was not a reference to the Titanic. They meant Liz Truss could not outlast a head of iceberg lettuce. That got everyone going online. To the point where the Daily Star newspaper launched a live cam, a live stream of their camera aimed at a head of lettuce. At least it was their version of one. It had eyes and a blonde wig. Uh, But yeah, the lettuce won. Let's assemble our panel today. Jeannie Shanzano is here, Democratic analyst and of course, Bloomberg Politics contributor, joined by Lester Munson, back with us, principal at government relations firm BGR Group, former staff director of the Senate Foreign Relations Committee. Great to have both of you with us here. Jeannie, uh, I believe someone else put it differently. I think it was 4.1 Scaramucci's. Who would have thought 44 days? Who would have thought, you know, Joe, it's just the tip of the iceberg. That's well done. I have to say. Thank well you. Done. I practiced that mm-hmm. for you. Um, you know, it, it is stunning. I saw Scaramucci say that, um, you know, <laughs> it, it, it's been quite a day. It, it's really head spinning. And I think one of the biggest challenges here as, you know, the conservative party attempts to go forward. And you were just talking about that with David and how they've changed the, you know, the rules so they can make this happen is they not only have the challenge of dealing with the economic crisis, crisis that they are in, but they also have a crisis in this conservative party. I mean, this is a crisis that's deep. It is, you know, what is the conservative party in Britain going to look like post-Brexit? As she goes, it, it's pretty clear that this idea of a, you know, small state, low taxation idea that was so attractive to the members of the party who wanted to support her and did in the last election mm-hmm. is no longer a viable way for the conservative party to go forward. So they've got quite a challenge on their hand. And let's not forget they're dealing with post-COVID, a war in Ukraine, and everything else they've got to deal with. My God, yeah. And we're now saying that the premier may be decided Monday, uh, the headline, maybe Monday as Tories set contest rules. Is that realistic, Lester? Things move that quickly, huh? 
Well, they just went through this exercise, uh, you know, four Scaramucci's ago. So presumably it's the rough. muscle memory is pretty good. Uh, yeah, I, I feel like the British were looking at um, uh, political chaos here in America and said, hold my beer. Uh, watch what we can do. Uh -huh. um, and they and they seem to have done a, a better job of being chaotic than we than we have done. That's saying a lot, uh, Lester, although I, I don't know when you step back from this. It's a pretty straight shot from Brexit to the chaos that we've been experiencing now, right? How did Brexit inform Liz Truss's demise? Well, I think you're absolutely right. Uh, uh, that was a dispositive event, uh, a real uh, inflection point. The the Conservatives, the Tories uh, in Great Britain became a different a different construct in the wake of Brexit, much more populist, much more uh, kind of in a uh, what we would call a Trumpian mold. It's a it's a different party than it used to be, and we see the the schizophrenia. the The old model is still there with the new model. They're not sure which way to go. Uh, they're not totally compatible. We're we're seeing that in our own politics with the populist wing and the more establishment wing, and a lot of name calling and things like that in yeah. Great Britain. It's manifest in these changes. It's hard to underscore the cultural influence of the United Kingdom. Uh, and, you know, it, it's it's a significant role in history, Jeannie. But as you look at what's going on now, are we going to be able to call it, you know, a major world economic power in a couple of years? You know, we're going to have to see going forward. And one of the, you know, the most amazing things as we look at this from the United States perspective is that, you know, what happened to Liz Truss and what she did arguably couldn't have taken place with the checks and balances we have here. So we don't often get to pat ourselves on the back or pat Madison on the back. But yeah. these Madisonian checks really do. Well, there's a lot of chaos, as, as Lester was just talking about, in both parties. But it's hard to make the kind of swift policy changes she tried to make over there. It simply could not have happened. And, you know, in that case, would have allowed her, quite frankly, to stay in a lot longer. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it is quite a difference uh, between what we would see here and, and what they see there. And, you know, whether they're going to be an economic powerhouse going forward, I suspect they will find their way back. But it may require a reexamination of what conservatism is in Britain after Brexit. Lester, is a Boris Johnson comeback something that you're taking seriously right now and if that really happened let's let's be hypothetical for a moment we just go back to the policies that that he was overseeing you know I, I'm, I'm taking it seriously uh the policies i'm not sure were the issue with with bojo i think it was his behavior well sure and, uh, it was the parties and all the rest of it yeah yeah, so if he comes back a, a, a more as a more sober prime minister, uh, then I think he he'll be more successful. Then again, he wouldn't be Boris, Jeannie. That's right. You know, that's like an oxymoron to think of a sober <laughs> bojo. But would he be popular as a sober bojo? I mean, I'm I'm being serious. He, he may not be, you know, but the reality is, is that his policies were fairly popular. It was the personal behavior that got him into some trouble. Yeah. And so, but, you know, is B Boris Johnson going to change his ways? I seriously doubt it. You know, and I was in, amazed to hear David say he thinks that there's a real shot that Boris Johnson can come back. We know that he has been expressing real frustration that he was pushed out and did not want to resign, obviously, and wanted to find a path back. So amazing he could find himself back there at this point. 
President Biden had only nice things to say, very brief remarks as he was leaving the White House today uh, for Pennsylvania. It was great working with you. <laughs> Hardly knew you. Uh, a great partner in uh, the, 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 the supporting of Ukraine with its war against Russia. We're going to pick up on that, by the way. The president today in Pennsylvania, back on the trail. This is Bloomberg. Broadcasting live from our nation's capital, Bloomberg 99.1, to New York, Bloomberg 1130, to Boston, Bloomberg 1061, to San Francisco, Bloomberg 960, to the country, Sirius XM Channel 119, and around the globe, the Bloomberg Business App and BloombergRadio.com. This is Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew. Much has been made of President Biden's schedule, his lack of campaign travel in the weeks before the midterms. But he's back out today flying to Battleground, Pennsylvania, to help John Fetterman in what's one of the closest Senate races in the country. Will it make a difference? We'll ask Jacob Rabashkin from Inside Elections. President Biden back on the trail today. Uh, The one scheduled stop this week, Battleground, Pennsylvania, as I mentioned, the place that he likes to call home, right? Scranton, Pennsylvania even though he lives in Delaware now, a rare campaign stop to help John Fetterman and and visited the site of the Fern Hollow Bridge uh, in Pittsburgh as well. It's the bridge that collapsed in January. Uh, you might remember that, you know, really became kind of a symbol of the nation's infrastructure uh, deficit here. President said his policies were focused on rebuilding the middle class uh, and sitting right there in the front row, look at that, John Fetterman, the lieutenant governor, and uh, he was wearing a suit today. You see, we're in a suit when he met the president at the airport. Here's Joe Biden. John, uh, thank you very it. much for uh, for running. I really do appreciate it. And Zell, you're gonna you're gonna be a great uh, a great lady in the Senate. Wasn't that worth all of the trouble? All right, let's bring in Jacob Rabashkin, Inside Elections analyst with an eye on this contest. Jacob, we've really seen this one narrow. And in a lot of other so-called battleground states, you name it, Ohio, Georgia, they've kind of asked the president to stay away. How come Pennsylvania is different? Look, I think there are a couple of different factors that contribute to Biden making the trip here to Pennsylvania. First, of course, uh, Biden carried the state in the 2020 election. That's always helpful. Second, as you said, um, you know, Biden has a particular affinity for Pennsylvania. It's it's uh, the place where he was born. It's close to Delaware. And so uh, I think that when he's deciding where he wants to go out on the trail, this probably ranks pretty highly. And, and then finally, what, what John Fetterman needs to do right now is uh, staunch any sort of momentum that Dr. Oz has picked up over the last couple of weeks. And one of the places where he really has to lock down full and total support is from Democrats in the state, right? It's not just about winning over independence. Yeah. But at the moment where we see Fetterman uh, lagging, for instance, Josh Shapiro, the Democratic nominee for governor, is that he doesn't have quite as much support among Democrats. So mm-hmm. bringing the president in is a surefire way to get Democrats excited and bring more attention to the race, which is what Fetterman needs. 538, let's see, they've got Fetterman 47.7 to Oz's 43.2. That, of course, is a an average of polls here. Uh, there's a very short amount of time left, right? We've got less than three weeks. Uh, Are these numbers essentially what we have baked in going into Election Day? Well, I don't think that they're quite baked in yet. This is a race where we have seen uh, some interesting movement. Of course, Dr. Oz began the general election in the 30s. 
coming yeah. out of that bruising Republican primary against Dave McCormick, uh, husband of Dina Powell McCormick, the next uh, head of the Robin Hood Foundation, apparently. Um, and uh, we've, we've seen Oz pick up steam as he's consolidated Republican voters, and now he's working on winning over independents as well. And so he is running a real campaign that is trying to use their head of steam over the last couple of weeks to close that gap. I think Fetterman's job at the moment is prevent defense. He's got to hold on to that 48 percent of the vote that he has right now and make sure that he can scoop up the little bit of undecided voters that he'll need to get him to 50 or close to it. And if he's able to do that, he should be fine here. But Oz is clearly uh, picking up steam and, and gaining on him in the closing weeks. It's been uh, remarkable, actually, the progress he's made. By the way, the real clear poll of polls has uh, a, a smaller gap, Fetterman up by two and a half Um Dr. Oz put some real money into ads, negative ads, framing Fetterman as soft on crime and suggesting that uh, that he might be a drug user. Donald Trump says he's, you know, he's smoking pot in his mom's basement and that they try to frame him with the hoodie and the whole thing is essentially not a serious person. Is that what actually helped to narrow the numbers? I'm sure that is is partially what it's about, the specific messaging. I think more importantly is that Oz was running any sort of ads at all. One of the things we saw over the summer was that after Oz uh, won that primary, he really went dark on TV, and Fetterman and his allies had free reign to define Oz in a negative way and build up Fetterman's own positive image across the state. And so really where we begin to see the narrowing of the race is when Oz woke up, started giving a little bit more money to his own campaign and running any sort of ads on TV, including the specific ones about Fetterman. Uh, and crime. And I think, you know, the, the crime issue matters more, perhaps, when it comes to the, the larger questions about crime and, and what we've seen happen in Philadelphia, and less about the kind of specific attacks, you know, Fetterman has tattoos and, and things like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. Member of the Crips, I think, uh, was one of the interesting lines that I heard floated. Um, then there's the matter of his health. Of course, uh, John Fetterman suffered a stroke. Uh, and, he, you know, look, he, he took quite a bit of time off the trail. There were questions about that interview he did using closed captioning. And some actually tried to make it a cause saying this is, you know, you're supporting a, a disabled American here. Has that actually been a factor in people's decisions or, or sort of a national sideline story? I mean, he was out with a medical report from his doctor yesterday. How important is that in this race? Look, it's always going to be important if voters think that you're capable or incapable of performing the job and responsibilities of a senator. I'm not so sure that this is a make-or-break issue for Fetterman at the moment. I think there's there's evidence to suggest there's some skepticism from voters that they're getting the full story about his current health condition. But there's also evidence to suggest that voters do empathize with him because a lot of voters have people in their family or themselves who have gone through significant health challenges. Right. Fetterman has really leaned into that aspect. At his rallies these days, he asks everyone in the audience, if you've ever had a stroke, raise your hand. If you have a family member who's had a stroke or a serious health condition, raise your hand and tries to turn that against Oz. I think it's notable that Oz isn't really using those lines in his paid advertising. It's much more Republicans uh, out in the media space who like to bring up Fetterman's recovery from the stroke. Jacob, thanks for your insights. Jacob Rabashkin from Inside Elections, a perfect setup for our panel next. I want to get into this issue of the medical report. We haven't had a chance to talk about it. The doctor says Fetterman spoke intelligently without cognitive deficits. He's still got a debate, though, to prove that. Our panel is next. I'm Joe Matthew. This is Bloomberg. You're listening to Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. 
So John Fetterman went to the doctor on October 14th, Dr. Clifford Chen's office. And the doc wrote in what has now been released publicly, a medical report on the lieutenant governor, the Democratic candidate nominee for Senate in Pennsylvania, that he, quote, continues to exhibit symptoms of an auditory processing disorder, which can come across as hearing difficulty, unquote. This is, of course, something that we uh, talked about quite a bit when he sat for an interview. I guess it was a week ago with NBC, and he had to use closed captioning to to capture uh, the questions properly, which is, you know, not unheard of. Uh, as he points out, most politicians use teleprompters uh, when they're standing in front of people. But he also was reaching for his words and correcting himself, in some cases, struggling to kind of complete a thought. And so there are questions about his ability to perform in a televised debate, which is hard enough as it is. And of course, uh, those around Dr. Oz, and he's had to be very careful about this, particularly as a doctor, while he might criticize uh, Fetterman's eating habits following the whole crudite uh, situation. Um, he's let other people kind of poke holes in, in Fetterman and sort of ask the question, is he fit for office? Let's reassemble the panel. Jeannie Shanzano is here. Of course, Bloomberg Politics contributor, Democratic analyst, and Lester Munson is with us uh, today, principal from BGR Group, former staff director in the Senate Foreign Relations Committee. And it's, it's worth noting out that Lester was the chief of staff for Senator Mark Kirk, uh, who had a stroke when he was in the Senate and had to manage a situation that's very similar to the one we're in here. Lester, is his campaign doing it right? You know, I, I've been impressed by uh, how Mr. Fetterman has kind of soldiered on, taken on challenges, gone straight at this thing. It's clear you know, he's working hard on his recovery, and I truly wish him the best uh, in that makes a full recovery. He's not, uh, there are clearly some uh, issues that he's still dealing with and working on, but he's out there and putting it before the voters. And mm -hmm. uh, I say good for him. It doesn't mean I agree with his platform or that if I were in Pennsylvania, sure. I would necessarily vote for him, but I, sure. I admire his courage and his steadfastness. Well, uh, look, that's awfully nice of you to say. I mean, you can take a couple of different paths here, obviously, right? Um, you can try to act like a tough guy and, and act like nothing's wrong. And some people accused him of doing that, by the way, and not being completely transparent at the beginning. Obviously, we've learned a lot since then, and he's been talking openly about it a lot. It's part of his stump speech now, uh, as we were just discussing with Jacob. Uh, or, or you can also open the door a little bit more. You know, Bob Casey was was a surrogate uh, on his behalf, Lester, going on TV to say that, look, we have uh, we have legislation in this country to protect people with disabilities like this. He's like a lot of Americans uh, who are going to work with challenges like this. He's not alone. That's why he's asking people to raise their hands. Those who've had a stroke, who are who are in the crowd, who've you know likely recovered, um, is that the effective path? Uh, it's, 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 a, it's tempting to go down that path. It's really, and it's fine to talk about that, but it's not enough. When Mark Kirk ran for reelection in Illinois in 2016, the Chicago Tribune came out and endorsed his opponent, who is now Senator Tammy Duckworth, mm -hmm. uh, because they said Mark Kirk couldn't fo totally fulfill his duties as a senator because of the consequences of the stroke. Uh, so I think we need to be hard-eyed about 
what uh, what being in the Senate means. It is it is a very difficult job. It requires all of your faculties. If you really want to represent the people of your state, you need to be operating at 100. percent I think that's I think it's fair to consider whether a candidate who does who may not be 100 percent is going to be able to carry out those duties. That is certainly a fair question to be asking about these candidates. I think uh, Mr. Fetterman has done a, a good job of getting out there and addressing them. There's some things where they've kind of implied that if he can't fulfill his duties, his wife might be appointed to replace him. They're going to have to address that directly if they haven't done so already. Wow. Uh, but I think that, you know, the people need to consider all of these things. It's 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 a really tough question. It's not enough just to be a sympathetic figure. You also need someone who's going to be really aggressive in the Senate and work work like crazy for their state. So I guess all of that said, uh, Jeannie Shanzano, how important then? Because uh, I'm guessing we cannot underscore enough the importance of his performance in a live debate. That's right. And, and we're going to see next week and the voters will get a chance to decide, um, you know, but there's a school of thought. And, and I think I, I think it's worth considering that this health scare, unfortunate as it was, has made him more empathetic to many people on the ground. As hmm. you talked about, he's been using it in his stump speech to soften quite- the image. That's right. And, um, you know, makes him more relatable. Um, he's had to go through what so many of us have gone through in the United States, dealing with the healthcare system in serious conditions. Absolutely, I agree with Lester. Health is critically important. Voters have a right to consider it. But what shouldn't happen is we shouldn't confuse issues. Many people used closed caption. Many people use right. wheelchairs. We use a whole lot of things. And, you know, the Senate should be equipped to accommodate that. If it's not, that's got to change. There was a long time there was no female restroom near the Senate floor, quite frankly. You know, these are things that the Senate needs to accommodate. If his doctor is coming out, as he has said, there is no work restrictions, he is fully capable and he is fully functioning, then, you know, that is something that, you know, voters will consider certainly, but it does speak volume. So I think, Fetterman, you're right, the debate is going to be critically important for voters, but I think Fetterman has handled this right. Well, let's back off this whole thing and get back to what I was discussing earlier uh, with Jacob. Was it helpful for Joe Biden to be there today or is he a liability, Lester? Well, Joe Biden, uh, you know, still does have a connection to the working class. He's he's uh, he's got Pennsylvania roots. I think it can only help Fetterman. I don't think it helps him a lot. Uh, you know, Joe Biden's numbers are not fantastic. Uh, there are some prevailing winds going against Democrats and the, and the president in this election. We're seeing a little bit of a surge towards the Republicans. So I'm not sure it's going to be the answer that gets him over the finish line, but I'm, I'm yeah. sure it helps him a little bit. It's the one he chose to go to, uh, Jeannie. I still um, is is it because of the Scranton thing? I mean, John Fetterman didn't want to appear with him in some instances earlier this year. Yeah, that's right. That said, you know, this election for Biden, I think he has played this right. There's been a lot of attacks on the fact he's not doing big rallies. He's not echoing what Donald Trump and Barack Obama have done. But let's be realistic. 2010, 14, 18, they didn't go so well after those big rallies. Hmm. And, you know, I'm going to go out on a limb here and say him focusing this week on what he has done, 
or promises to do on abortion, gas prices, you know, marijuana, student loans tomorrow in Delaware, infrastructure today. Those are things that are popular with the base. And so if this is going to be a turnout election, you know, the, the, the headwinds are against Democrats. Certainly this is looking like it's going to be a traditional year and the Republicans should do well. But I'm not convinced that Biden has made a misstep. And Biden is going to do tonight what president should be doing. He's going to raise a heck of a lot of money for the campaign. This is his 18th trip to Pennsylvania. Next week will be his 19th. So I think it will, you know, is it going to change it big? No, it won't. But it's going to help Fetterman at least around the edges. If it can get out some Democrats, that's critically important. Well, and, you know, he's got a good story to tell uh, in Pittsburgh. What happened at that bridge is just, you know, people forget very quickly. People have very short memories. Google that story and remind yourself of how horrifying it was when the bridge came down. Uh, I want to turn to Georgia while I still have some time with both of you because you want to talk about another close win here. This Georgia Senate race is within three and a half points now, according to the average on 538. Raphael Warnock, 47.8. Herschel Walker, 44.1. After everything that has happened, he's handing out badges at rallies now. He has turned this thing around to his benefit and is, is holding up incredibly well, if not closing uh, the race in some polls here, and he feels empowered. Listen to Herschel Walker today going after Raphael Warnock on the stump. Don't let him ride your bike no more, Senator. Get that saddle off your bike and straighten your bike up. You letting that president ride your bike. You doing everything they tell you to do. Hey, let me tell you, I don't dance and sing for nobody. I never have. I'm from Riceville, Georgia. The Lord has washed me in the blood of Jesus. So right now, I know I represent Georgia. It's like a new candidate here. Uh, I don't dance and sing for nobody, Lester. Uh, what's he saying about Raphael Warnock? Well, I think there's there's a lot of uh, imagery and things to unpack in that statement. Yeah, there I'm is. not sure I want to be. I'm not sure I want to be the person to do it. I understand. Uh, but I, I think what Mr. Walker is doing is is uh, that that maybe we can address directly, which is he's saying I'm for Georgia. My opponent is with the president and the yeah. national Democrats. I'm the guy who's the local guy. That's going to be a pretty effective message. How does the Reverend push back on that with so little time left here, Jeannie? Because it does feel like there's some momentum for Herschel Walker. Well, Warnock has released uh, ads, you know, just in the last day or so. He is on the air big time hitting Walker on abortion, saying he's a hypocrite for coming out against it without Mm. any exceptions, except for anybody but himself. They reference the son. They reference the girlfriend. So this is how he's hitting back. And it may be effective. He, He increased his numbers when this story came out. It may increase him some more. What a way to make a living. Jeannie, thank you as always. Jeannie Shanzano, Lester Munson, our panel today. Thanks to Jacob as well for being with us. And of course, David Merritt with his great analysis on the chaos in the UK. I'm Joe Matthew. This is Bloomberg. Bloomberg.